Volume 1, Chapter 4 of the Heidenmauer, or the Benedictines, A Legend of the Rhine, by James Fedimore Cooper. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Joel Kendrick. The Heidenmauer, by James Fedimore Cooper, Volume 1, Chapter 4. And not a matron sitting at her wheel, but could repeat their story. Rogers. The female, enveloped in her mantle, had so well profited by the timely interposition of Gottlieb Frink as to quit the hermit's hut without attracting the notice of the Benedictine. But the vigilance of young Burkhold had not been so easily eluded. He stepped aside as she glided through the door. Then, stooping merely to catch the eye of the cowherd, to whom he communicated his intention by a sign, he followed. Had the forester felt any doubts as to the identity of her he pursued, the light and active movement would have convinced him that age, at least, had no agency in inducing her to conceal her features. The roebuck of his own forest scarce bounded with more agility than the fugitive fled, on first quitting the abode of the recluse. Nor did her speed sensibly lessen until she had crossed most of the melancholy camp and reached a spot where the opening of the blue and starlit void showed that she was at the verge of the wood and near the margin of the summit of the mountain. Here she paused, and stood leaning against a cedar, like one whose strength was exhausted. Burkhold had followed swiftly, but without losing that appearance of calmness and of superior physical force which gives dignity to the steps of young manhood as compared with the timid but more attractive movements of the feebler sex. He seemed conscious of his greater powers, and unwilling to increase a flight that was already swifter than circumstances required, and which he knew to be far more owing to a vague and instinctive alarm than to any real cause for apprehension. When the speed of the female ceased, his own relaxed, and he approached the spot where she stood panting for breath, like a cautious boy who slackens his haste in order not to give new alarm to the bird that has just alighted. What is there so fearful in my face, Meta, that thou fleest my presence as I had been the spirit of one of those pagans which they say once people this camp? It is not thy wont to have this dread of a youth thou hast known from childhood, and I will say in my own defense, known as honest and true. It is not seemly in a maiden of my years. It was foolish, if not disobedient, to be here at this hour, answered the hurried girl. I wish I had not listened to the desire of hearing more of the holy hermit's wisdom. Thou art not alone, Meta. That were unbecoming, truly, in my father's child, returned the young damsel with an expression of pride of condition as she glanced an eye toward the fallen wall, among whose stones Burkhold saw the well-known form of a female servitor of his companion's family. Had I carried imprudence to this pass, Master Burkhold, thou wouldst have reason to believe, in sooth, that it was the daughter of some peasant that by chance had crossed thy footstep. There is little danger of that error, answered Burkhold quickly. I know thee well. Thou art Meta, the only child of Heinrich Frey, the burgomaster of Durkheim. None know thy quality and hopes better than I, for none have heard them oftener. The damsel dropped her head in a movement of natural regret and sudden repentance, and when her blue eye, softened by a ray of the moon, met the gaze of the forester, he saw that better feelings were uppermost. I did not wish to recount my father's honors, nor any accidental advantage of my situation, and least of all to thee, answered the maiden with eagerness, but I felt concern lest thou shouldest imagine I had forgotten the modesty of my sex and condition or I had feared that thou mightest. Thy manner is much changed of late, Burkhold. 
It is, then, without my knowledge or intention. But we will forget the past, and thou wilt tell me what wonder hath brought thee to this suspected and dreaded moor at an hour so unusual. Meta smiled, and the expression of her countenance proved that if she had moments of uncharitable weakness, they were more the offspring of the world's opinions than of her own frank and generous nature. I might retort the question on thee, Burkhold, and plead a woman's curiosity as a reason why I should be quickly answered. Why art thou here at an hour when most young hunters sleep? I am Lord Emix Forrester, but thou, as there has just been question, art a daughter of the Burgomaster of Durkheim. I give thee credit for all the difference. Did my mother know that I was thus about to furnish a reason for my conduct, she would say, Keep thy explanations, Meta, for those who have a right to demand them. And Heinrich Frey? He would be little likely to approve of either visit or explanation. Thy father loves me not, Meta? He does not so much disapprove of thee, Master Burkhold, as that thou art only Lord Emix Forrester. Wert thou as thine own parent was, a substantial burgher of our town, he might esteem thee much. But thou hast great favor with my dear mother. Heaven bless her, that in her own prosperity she hath not forgotten those who have fallen. I think that, in thy heart as in thy looks, Meta, thou more resemblest thy mother than thy father. I would have it so. When I speak to thee of my being the child of Heinrich Frey, it is without thought of any present difference between us. I do affirm thee, Burkhold, but rather as showing that in not forgetting my station, I am not likely to do it discredit. I do affirm to thee, Burkhold, but rather as showing that is not forgetting my station, I am not likely to do it discredit. Nay, I know not that a forester's is a dishonorable office. They who serve the elector in this manner are noble." and they who serve nobles, simple. I am but a menial, Meta, though it be in a way to do little mortification to my pride. And what is Count Emic but a vassal of the elector, who, in turn, is a subject of the emperor? Thou shalt not dishonor thyself in this manner, Burkhold, and no one say ought to vindicate thee. Thanks, dearest Meta, thou art the child of my mother's oldest and closest friend, and whatever the world may proclaim of the difference that now exists between us, thy excellent heart whispers to the contrary. Thou art not only the fairest, but in truth the kindest and gentlest damsel of thy town. The daughter, only child, and consequently the heiress of the wealthiest burgher of Durkheim, did not hear this opinion of Lord Emick's handsome forester without great secret gratification. And now thou shalt know the reason of this unusual visit, said Meta, when the silent pleasure excited by the last speech of young Burkhold had a little subsided. For this have I in some measure promised to thee, and it would little justify thy good opinion to forget a pledge. Thou knowest the holy hermit and the sudden manner of his appearance in the Heidenmauer? None are ignorant of the latter, and thou hast already seen that I visit him in his hut. I shall not pretend to give or to seek the reason, but sure it is that he had not been a week in the old Roman abode when he sought occasion to show me greater notice than to any other maiden of Durkheim, or than any merit of mine might claim. How? Is the knave but a pretender to this sanctity after all? Thou canst not be jealous of a man in his years, and judging by his worn countenance and hollow eye, years too of mortification and suffering. He truly is of a character to give a youth of thy age and gentle air and active frame and comely appearance uneasiness. But I see the color in thy cheek, Master Burkhold, and I will not offend thee with comparisons that are so much to thy disadvantage. 
be the motive of the holy hermit what it will, on the two occasions when he visited our town, and in the visits that we maidens have often made to his cell, he hath shown kind interest in my welfare and future hopes, both as they are connected with this life and with that to which we all hasten, although it be with steps that are not heard even by our own ears. It does not surprise me that all who see and know thee, Meta, should act thus. And yet I find it very strange. Nay, said the amused girl, now thou justifiest the exact word of the old Ilse, who hath often said to me, Take heed, Meta, and put not thy faith too easily in the language of the young townsmen. For by looking closely into their meaning, thou wilt see that they contradict themselves. Youth is so eager to obtain its end that it stops not to separate the true from the plausible. These are her very words, and oft repeated, too, which thou hast just verified. I believe the crone fairly sleepeth on that pile of the fallen wall. Disturb her not. One of her years hath great need of rest. Nay, it would be thoughtless to rob her of this little pleasure. Meta had made a step in advance, seemingly with intent to arouse her attendant, when the hurried words and rapid action of the youth caused her to hesitate. Receding to her former attitude, beneath the shadow of the cedar, she more considerately resumed. It would be ungracious in sooth to awaken one who hath so lately toiled up this weary hill, and so aged, Meta, and one that did so much for my infancy. I ought to go back to my father's house, but my kind mother will overlook the delay, for she loveth else, little else than one of her own blood. Thy mother knoweth of this visit to the hermit's hut, then? Dost think, Master Burkhold, that a burgomaster of Durkheim's only child would go forth at this hour without permission had? There would be great unseemliness in such secret gossiping, and a levity that would better suit thy damsels of Count Emig's village. They say, indeed, in our town that the castle's damsels are none too nice in their manner of life. They belie us of the mountains strangely, in the towns of the plain. I swear to thee, there is not greater modesty in thy Durkheim palace than among our females, whether of the village or of the castle. It may be true in the main, and for the credit of my sex, I hope it is so. But thou wilt scarce find courage, Burkhold, to say aught in favor of her they call Gisela, the warder's child. More vanity have I never seen in female form. They think her fair in Hartenburg. Tis that opinion which spoileth the creature's manner. Thou art much in her society, Master Burkhold, and I doubt not that use causeth thee to overlook some qualities that are not concealed from strangers. Do but regard that flaunting bird from the pass of the Jagerthal, said the excellent old Ilse one morn that we had a festival in our venerable church, to which the country round came forth in their best array. One would imagine from its fluttering and the movements of its feathers that it fancied the eye of every young hunter was on its plumage, and that it dreaded the bolt of the archer unexpectedly. And yet have I known animals of this breed that did not so greatly fear the fowler's hand if truth were said. Thou judgest Gisela harshly, for though of some lightness of speech, and haply not without admiration of her own beauty, the girl is far from being uncompanionable, or at times of agreeable discourse. Nay, I do but repeat the words of Ilse, Master Burkhold. Thy Ilse is old and garrulous, and is like to utter foolishness. This may be so, but let it be foolish, if thou wilt, the folly of my nurse is my folly. I have gained so much from her discourse that I fear it is now too late to amend. 
To deal fairly with thee, she did not utter a syllable concerning thy warder's daughter that I do not believe. Burkhold was but little practiced in the ways of the human heart, free in the expression of his own sentiments as the air he breathed on his native hills, and entirely without thought of guilt. As respects the feeling which bound him to Meta, he had never descended into the arcana of that passion, of which he was so completely the subject, without, indeed, knowing even the extent of his own bondage. He viewed this little ebullition of jealousy, therefore as a generous nature regards all injustice, and he entered only the more warmly into the defense of the injured party. One of those sieve-like hearts that have been perforated a hundred times by the shots that Cupid fires, right and left, in a capital, would probably have had recourse to the same expedient, merely to observe to what extent he could trifle with the feelings of a being he professed to love. Europeans who are little addicted to looking into the eye of their cis-Atlantic kinsmen in search of the moat say that the master passion of life is but a sluggish emotion in the American bosom, that those who are chiefly employed in the affairs of this world should be content with the natural course of the affections, as they arise in the honest relations of the domestic circle, is quite as probable as it is true that they who feed their passions by vanity and variety are mistaken when they think that casual and fickle sensations compose any of the true ingredients of that purifying and elevated sentiment which, by investing the admired object with all that is estimable, leads us to endeavor to be worthy of the homage which we insensibly pay to virtue. In Burkhold and Meta, the reader is to look for none of that constitutional fervor which sometimes substitutes impulse for a deeper feeling or for any of that factitious cultivation of the theory of love that so often tempts the neophyte to mistake his own hallucinations for the more natural attachment of sympathy and reason. For the former, they lived too far north, and for the latter, it might possibly be said that fortune had cast their lot a little too far south. That subtle and nearly indefinable sympathy between the sexes which we call love, to which are all subject, since its principle is in nature itself, exists perhaps in its purest and least conventional form precisely in the bosoms of those whom providence had placed in the middle state, between extreme cultivation and ignorance, between the fastidious and sickly perversion of overindulgence and the selfishness that is the fruit of constant appeals to exertion or the very condition of the two young persons that have been placed before the reader in this chapter. Enough has been seen to show that Burkhold, though exercising a menial office, had received opinion superior to his situation, a circumstance that is sufficiently explained by the allusions already made to the decayed fortunes of his parents. His language and manner, therefore, as he generously vindicated Gisela, the daughter of the person charged to watch the approaches of Lord Emick's castle, was perhaps superior to what would have been expected a mere forester. I shall not take upon myself the office of pointing out the faults of our castle beauty, if faults she hath, he said. But this much may I say in her defense, without fear of exceeding truth. Her father has grown gray under the livery of Linogen, and there is not a child in the world that showeth more reverence or affection to him who gave her being than the same bird of thine with its flaunting plumes and the coquetry with the archer's bolt. Tis said a dutiful daughter will ever make an excellent and obedient wife. The luckier then will he be who weds old Friedrich's child. I have known her keep the gates deep into the night, that her father might take his rest, when the nobles have frequented the forest later than common. Aye, and to watch weary hours when most of her years and sex would find excuses for being on their pillows. 
Now this have I often seen going forth as thou mayest be certain by my office in Count Emic's company, in most of his hunts. Nay, Gisela is fair, none will deny, and it may be that, among her other qualities, the girl knows it. She appeareth not to be the only one of thy Hartenburg pile that is aware of the fact, Master Burkhold. Dost thou mean, Meta, the reveling abbe from Paris, or the sworn soldier monk of Rhodes, that now abide in the castle? asked the young forester, with a simplicity that would have set the heart of a coquette at ease, by its perfect nature and openness. Now thou touchest on the matter, I will own, though one of my offices should be wary of opinions on those his master loves. But I know thy prudence, Meta, therefore I will say that I have half suspected these two ill-sorted servants of the church, of thinking more of the poor girl than is seemly. Thy poor Gisela hath caused to hang herself. Truly were wassellers, like these thou namest, to regard me with but a free look, the burgomaster of Durkheim should know of their boldness. Meta, they would not dare. Poor Gisela is not the offspring of a stout citizen, but the warder of Hartenberg's child, and there may be some difference in your natures too. Nay, there is, for thou art not one of those that seek the admiration of the cavalier that passeth, but a maiden that knoweth her worth, and the me that is her due, that thou hast in something wronged our beauty of the hold, I needs must say. But to compare thee with her, either in the excellence of the body or that of the mind, is what could never be done justly. If she is fair, thou art fairer. If she is witty, thou art wise. Nay, do not mistake me, Burkhold, by thinking that I have uttered aught against thy warder's daughter that is harsh and unseemly. I know the girl's cleverness, and, moreover, I am willing to acknowledge that one cruelly placed by fortune in a condition of servitude like hers may find it no easy matter to be always what one of her sex and years could wish. I dare to say that Gisela, did fortune and opportunity permit, would do no discredit to her breeding and looks, both of which, sooth to say, are somewhat above her condition. And thou saidest thy mother knew of this visit to the hermit? And said truth, my mother has never made objection to any reverence paid by her daughter to the church or to its servants. That hath she not, thou art amongst the most frequent of those who resort to the abbey in quest of holy office thyself, Meta. Am I not a Christian? Wouldst have a well-respected maiden forget her duties? I say not that, but there is discourse amongst us hunters, that of late the prior hath much preferred his young nephew, Brother Hugo, to the duty of quieting the consciences of the penitents. It were better that some father whose tonsure had a ring of grey were put into confessional, in a church so much frequented by the young and fair of Durkheim. Thou wouldst do well to write of this to the Bishop of Worms, or to our holy abbot in thine own scholarly hand. Thou hast the clerkly gifts, Master Burkhold, and might persuade. I would that the little I have done in this way had not so failed of its design. Thou hast had frequent proofs of its sincerity, if not its skill, Meta. Well, this is idle and leads me to forget the hermit. My mother, I know not why, and now thou makest me think on it. I find it different from her common rule but it is certain that she in no wise discourages these visits to the Heidenmauer. We are very young, Burkhold, and may not yet understand all that enters into older and wiser heads. It is strange that the holy man should seek just us. If he most urges his advice on you among the damsels of the town, he most gives his counsel to me among the youths of Jagerthal. There was a charm in this idea which held these two young and unpractised minds in sweet thraldom for many fleeting minutes. 
They conversed of the unexplained sympathy between the man of God and themselves long and with undiminishing interest in the subject, for it seemed to both that it contained a tie to unite them still closer to each other. Whatever philosophy and experience may pretend on such subjects, it is certain that man is disposed to be superstitious in respect to the secret influences that guide his fortunes in the dark passage of the world. Whether it be the mystery of the unforeseen future or the consciousness of how much of even his most prized success is the result of circumstances that he never could or did control, or whether God, with a view to his own harmonious and sublime ends, has implanted this principle in the human breast in order to teach us dependence on a superior power, it is certain that few reach a state of mind so calculating and reasoning as not to trust some portion of that which is to come to the chances of fortune or to providence. For so we term the directing power as the mind clings to or rejects the immediate agency of the deity in the conduct of the subordinate concerns of life. In the age of which we write, intelligence had not made sufficient progress to elevate ordinary minds above the arts of necromancy. Men no longer openly consulted the entrails of brutes in order to learn the will of fate, but they often submitted to a dictation scarcely less beastly, and few indeed were they who were able to separate piety from superstition, or the grand dispensations of providence from the insignificant interest of selfishness. It is not surprising, therefore, that Burkhold and Meta should cling to the singular interest that the hermit manifested in them, respectively, as an omen propitious to their common hopes, common for though the maiden had not far relinquished the reserve she still deemed essential to her sex, as to acknowledge all she felt that subtle instinct which unites the young and innocent left little doubt in the mind of either, of the actual state of the other's inclinations. Old Ilse had consequently ample time to rest her frame after the painful toil of the ascent between the town and the camp. When Meta at length approached to arouse her, the garrulous woman broke out in exclamations of surprise at the shortness of the interview with the hermit, for the soundness of her slumbers left her in utter ignorance of the appearance and disappearance of Burkhold. It is but a moment, Meta dear, she said, since we came up the hill, and I fear thou hast not given sufficient heed to the wise words of the holy man. We should not reject a wholesome draught because it proves bitter to the mouth, child, but swallow all to the last drop when we think there is a healing in the cup. Didst deal fairly by the hermit and tell him honestly of thy evil nature? Thou forgettest, Ilse, the hermit has not even the tonsure that cannot shrive and pardon. Nay, nay, I know not that. A hermit is a man of God, and a man of God is holy, and any Christian may, I, and should, pardon. As to the shriving, give me a self-denying recluse who passes his time in prayer, mortifying soul and body before any monk of Limburg, say I. There is more virtue in one blessing from such a man than in a dozen from a carousing abbot. I know not, but I might say fifty. But I had his blessing, nurse. Well, that is comforting, and we have not wearied our limbs for naught. But thou shouldest have told him of thy wish to wear the laced bodice at the last mass, in order that thy equals might envy thy beauty. It would have been wholesome to have acknowledged that sin, at least. But he questioned me not of my sins. All his discourse was of my father's house, and of my good mother, and, and of other matters. Thou shouldest then have edged the bodice in among the other matters. Have I not always forewarned thee, Meta, of the danger of pride, and of stirring envy in the bosom of a companion? There is not more uncomfortable than envy, as I know by experience. Oh, I am no longer young, 
and come to me if thou wouldest wish to know what envy is, or any other dangerous vice, and I warrant thee thou shalt hear it well explained. Aye, thou wert very wrong not to have spoken of the bodice. Had it been fit to confess, I might have found more serious sins to own than any that belong to dress. I know not that. Dress is a great beguiler of the young heart and of the handsome face. If thou hast beauty in thy house, break thy mirrors that the young should not know it, is what I have heard a thousand times. And as thou art both young and fair, I will repeat it. Though Durkheim gainsay my words, thou art in danger if thou knowest it. No, hast thou told the hermit of thy bodice, it might have done much good. What matters it to such a man, whether he hath the tonsure or not? He hath prayers, and fastings, and midnight thought, and great bodily suffering, and these are surely worth as much hair as hath ever fallen from all the monks in the Palatinate. I would thou hast told him of that bodice, child. Since thou so wishest it, at our next meeting it shall be said, dear Ilse, so set thy heart at peace. Ah, this will give thy dear mother great pleasure, else why should she consent that a daughter of hers should visit a heathenish camp at so late an hour? I warrant thee that she thought of the bodice. Do cease speaking of the garment, nurse. My thoughts are bent on something else. Well, if indeed thou thinkest of something else, it may be amiss to say more at present, though. Heaven knows it. Thou hast great occasion to recall that vainglorious mass to thy mind. How suddenly thy communion with the hermit ended tonight, Meta. We have not been long on the mountain, truly else, but we must hasten back, lest my mother should be uneasy. And why should she be so? Am I not with thee? Is age nothing and experience and prudence and an old head? Aye, and for that matter, an old body too, and a good memory, and such eyes as no other in Durkheim of my years hath. I say of my years, for thou hast better... And thy dear mother's are little worse than thine, but of my years few have their equal. At thy age, girl, I was not the old Ilse, but the lively Ilse, and the active, and God forgive me if there be vainglory in the words, but truth should always be spoken, the handsome Ilse, and this too without aid from such bodice as that of thine. Wilt never forget the bodice. Here, lean on me, nurse, or thy foot may fail thee in the steep descent." Here they began to descend, and as they were now at a point of the path where much caution was necessary, the conversation in a great measure ceased. He who visits Durkheim now will find sufficient remaining evidence to show that the town formerly extended more towards the base of the mountain than its present site would prove. There are the ruins of walls and towers among the vineyards that ornament the foot of the hill, and tradition speaks of fortifications that have long since disappeared, rendered useless by those improvements in warfare that have robbed so many other strong places of their importance. Then every group of houses on an eminence was more or less a place of defense, but the use of gunpowder and artillery centuries ago rendered all these targets useless, and he who would now seek a citadel is most sure to find it buried in some plain or morass. The world has reached another crisis in improvement, for the introduction of steam is likely to alter all its systems of offense and defense both by land and sea. But be the future as it may, the skill of the engineer had not so far ripened at the period of our tale, as to prevent Meta and her attendant from entering within walls of ancient construction, clumsily adapted to meet the exigencies of the imperfect state of the existing art. As the hour was early, they had no difficulty in reaching the burgomaster's door without attracting remark. End of Volume 1, Chapter 4, read by Joel Kendrick.